For some companies, big data remains an abstraction. For others, it's an integral part of the lifeblood of their business. Matt Harris is VP of Product at Sojourn, which is a uh, travel marketing platform, uh, which has, at the time of this recording, something like $3 billion in bookings and a third of a billion uh, traveler profiles uh, across their platform over the years that they've been building the company. Matt speaks with us today about how Sojourn themselves, as well as other businesses, are using a combination of their data and other sources of data, both third-party and what Matt refers to as second-party data, uh, in order to inform their marketing decisions and uh, better market to the travel buyers that they're actually targeting. We also use examples in automotive and other domains to sort of flesh out the points of how more richer data can be used to actually glean tangibly better results. Uh, Matt speaks with surprising clarity on some of these points and uh, sheds light again on, on the direct ROI in different businesses. I think it's certainly an, inter an interesting interview for executives making these kind of decisions, but even if you're just interested in where big data is headed and some important trends that are making a difference for companies, uh, Sojourn is an interesting Bay Area uh, company that's worth studying for this particular interview. So. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this interview as much as I did when I was recording it. And without further ado, Matt Harris with Sojourn. So Matt, I wanted to start things off uh, by asking you about what you consider to be the most important applications of big data in your company today. So I, I appreciate the question. And uh, Sojourn is, a, is uh, a, a travel advertising platform, if you yep. will. So we, uh, we actually... Um, acquire data through partnerships with a large number of data partners uh, all over the world. And they're, they're some of the, you would think of as the online travel agencies or the airlines, yep. hotels, MetaSearch, uh, and all of those, all of those sites are powered by big data. All those sites are um, e even, you know, able to exist and, and be used. Travel as online travel as an industry exists because uh, you know, big data and applied in a certain way to make it possible for individuals to research, to think about, to dream about, and to purchase travel. So we, we acquire data through, through uh, partnerships with, with those, uh, uh, with sites like, like those. And, and actually, you know, between 300 and 400 million traveler files in our, in our platform in any given month. And so that's, that's, um, basically signal of intent, of travel intent, of people actually shopping for travel, people who are in the market right now looking for travel. Yep. And the big yep. distinction there is, you know, there's plenty of data around of, of people who, um, you know, like travel, or people who visit websites and they look at pictures of beaches, for example, or, or people who are, who, are, who are thinking about one thing or another. But when it comes to people who are actually shopping right now at this moment for a hotel versus an airline versus a flight, uh, versus a rental car, uh, and and knowing where they are in, in that moment to be able to present them with the right message at the right time uh, is really important, and that's possible because of because of what what's available what our company does. So um, we've developed a um, a uh, data platform that allows us to take all that data to uh, categorize it, put it into a taxonomy that can be deployed and activated. So segments that make make sense in travel, uh, so that we can actually use that to find people at the right moment who are looking for a specific uh, thing and be able to show them an ad that's relevant to them. 
And just for my own clarity, Matt, when you mention um, and and yes, the, the the numbers are pretty pretty interesting in uh, in terms of your guys' uh, business today. I mean, at the time of the recording, I think something like you know three billion bucks in terms of bookings, uh, you know, through the various and sundry you know lead generation and other activities that you guys are involved in. You had mentioned travel, uh, consumer travel, sort of online in general exists is is possible you know because of big data facilitated by big data it, even that is comes through as a bit of an abstraction um when when you say that do you mean because enough information is pooled and correlated and pulled together in one core place that a number of various agents like like your company uh can draw from it and make sense of it what does it mean when when you say big data is sort of facilitating uh, you know, online travel as an industry. How would you kind of layman's terms that? Sure. So you have to. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's really possible to layman's terms it too much, but I will <laughs> do my best. All right, so, great. Uh, if you think about where this began, I, I mean, and maybe the beginning is even before this, but I think about you know one of the most important events in in online travel was literally American Airlines uh, taking their Saber system and making it something that was usable on the web, and that was the very. I think. As far as I'm, I know, uh, the first global distribution system of all of the flight data uh, that was available. And so you have origin destination pairs, you have uh, flight schedules, you have arrival times, you have on time percentages, you have class of, uh, you know, you have uh, seats, you have the uh, class of travel, you have um, things like, uh, you, know, you, you know, you name it. The, even the make and model of the plane. So yeah. uh, whether something is yeah. uh, an Airbus 300 or a Boeing 787, all that's available now and you can search. So that data may becoming available is what's powered on travel agents. It's what, what is powered, uh, uh, you know, flight search makes meta search, even companies like Hipmunk uh, and others even possible. So that is there. But then you look at what we do and, and we actually, it, uh, our data is a derivative so yep. whenever somebody goes to Expedia.com or some other website, I hate to name any by name, oh, that's just, fine. just so you have an example of, of yep. what I'm talking about, an online travel agency like that, or where you can go and you can actually look at different things and book them. You can look at a bunch of different hotel rooms all over the world and book them because that hotel data uh, is available in real time. The pricing, the availability, the, the descriptions, the images, uh, the reviews, all there and all available because it's been brought together. So the data we use is a derivative of that. It is somebody has gone and done a search, and what do they search for? Well, they search for this. What do they book? Well, they book that. And being able to have that information uh, helps us, you know, make better decisions for our advertisers. Uh, so, for example, whenever whenever somebody is about to book travel, the very first thing they do is they, they tend to look at flights because the flight is the anchor of, of their entire travel. Yep, purchase. you got to get there. You got to get there. And so once you get there, once you have your ticket. Now you know when you're going to be there for sure. You, you thought you were going to be there on the 5th of July, but actually the flight you booked uh, gets you there on the 4th of July. So now you have to book your hotel for the 4th. So uh, the, the availability of the flight at the price you want um, is what uh, makes it it's sort of the first thing you do. And then that's the leading indicator. So that becomes an, a very strong signal that you're intending to travel somewhere because, hey, you actually have a ticket there. And so now it's time to book your hotel. And then maybe it's time to book your rental car. And so, so the, the booking of the flight is sort of a leading intent signal. That's the kind of data we use. And to put a finer point on it, um, there's, there's multiple different types of data that's available uh, generally uh, in, in advertising. And, and I could put it, break it into three different buckets. Like one is first-party data, 
best data that comes from someone's own website. So that is, you know, whenever you whenever you have your own website, you're going to put up your own your own analytics, and you're going to collect user data if you're smart, and you're going to figure out a way to stay in touch with your own, you know, people who visit your website. And so that's your first party data. Your own CRM data is your first party data. Yep. If you have a point of sale, what's in the register is your first party data. And so then there's also a third party data, which is sort of pooled data, aggregated, purchased potentially via an exchange, where you can buy segments of behaviors and demographics. So maybe you want to target men, or maybe you want to target uh, people with a high school education, or people who have uh, a, a job and an income of more than $50,000 a year. Those are the kinds of things you could, you could buy as far as demographics are concerned. Maybe you, want to, maybe you want to find people who have traveled recently or, or, who, um, or who are interested in motorcycles. Well, that would be kind of a behavioral segment that you could also get. But, but first-party data is super relevant. Unfortunately, it's really, really small. Yep. Third-party data is huge, and unfortunately, not that relevant. It's good for it's good for cutting down your targeting, but it's not great for for driving conversions because yep. again, you can find somebody who loves to travel, but loving to travel doesn't mean they're they're going to need to book a hotel in Jacksonville, Florida tomorrow. And so, uh, what we do is we bring together first party data from a lot of different websites, which becomes second party data. And one of the trends I want to talk about is the fact that second party data is something that is now available because of the scale of systems and the complexity of, of um, of uh, data analysis that's available to be able to take data from a bunch of different places, bring it together, categorize it, establish a taxonomy, and then activate it. Um, and so that's why I think you haven't heard a lot about second-party data, no. but it's one of those things that's really, really uh, taking off right now. Interesting. Okay, so I'd like to get a definition of that. I, I just want to couch sort of our initial conversation, which I, I think is curious. You know, you're mentioning uh, American Airlines sort of initial, you know, very innovative at the time, of course, move to uh, taking their booking and, and various and sundry information sort of to the web. Um, it, it sounds as though uh, when you say sort of consumer travel being facilitated by big data, in some regards, that's because there were enough incentives for the related parties, namely, I suppose, in, in your case here, uh, airlines and um, airports and hotels and whatnot, um, for them all to list this and for them all to possibly find ways to make this collectible and sortable and searchable. So there needs to be some sort of uh, consensus across an industry for any of this to be put up and maybe congealed in a way where applications like yours can run, right? There must be industries where the info just isn't there. The incentives aren't there to share it or whatever the case may be. It sounds like in travel, you're in kind of the right kind of spot for your position, but maybe not all industries are like that. I think that's probably true, and I, I would probably struggle to think of uh, you know a good example of an industry where that data doesn't exist. But um, but but the fact remains that there that there is you know I mean actually a lot of things you purchase you know that data isn't there. So you you look at what are the incentives that make that make that data available, and I think it really just becomes the incentive of, of commerce and scale. Yes, yes, um, yes. You know, and so Amazon makes it available because they know that if they provide a place for you to come and search reviews for anything. Whether it's a bag of peanuts or a television, you can put a, you can go to Amazon and search it and read reviews about it and make a purchase decision. You can even buy it from Amazon. And so, uh, if you think about, you know, who is who is incentivized to make that data available, it would be the, the entities that are big enough to take advantage of what happens whenever fragmentation. Yeah, no, I was going to say I think one of the areas where there's sometimes gripes about the the. Uh lack of availability of said information are in particular areas of the medical domain, right? Where, where a lot of the initial drivers 
are not, uh, you know, really neat, innovative companies, or even maybe very big tech companies, there, there's a lot of regulation, a lot of mixed incentives sort of garbled together, and a lot of sort of stodgy systems with sort of a tough process to modernize, and maybe a lot of legal concerns with even making some of that available. And so that, that was an area that just came to my mind in terms of where can we not just yank it all up in one place? You know, I think, I think there's, given where we are with, with data and information and you know, people working on cancer and other very important diseases, I think there are gripes about sort of how, how maybe some of that is less ubiquitous, we could say, than what's it cost to get to Jacksonville. <laughs> I think that's true. But even, even in, in, um, healthcare, you've seen the, uh, you know, proliferation of electronic medical records, which is yep. is very yeah. very a big important. step. A big step for those guys. Yeah, cool. I think everything is it is moving this direction. Right? No, without, without a doubt, I think that's very safe to say. And you were moving into sort of this definition of second party data being probably a term that folks tuned in, myself included, are less familiar with. Go ahead and define that, Matt. It sounds like that's kind of the world you guys live in. Yeah. So second party data is really somebody else's first party data. So if I acquire the first party data from an airline website, um, I, that's not, that doesn't become my first party data. It really is their first party data that I have a license to use. The second I have it, I have a license to use it. And so it's my second party data. Um, and that, and that becomes relevant, not just from getting data from one website, but from getting web getting data from a lot of different websites. And so for me, I think this also speaks to one of the big trends that's coming up and it's just the, the collection and sharing of first-party data across a lot of different sites leads to a much more complete picture of a user. Yeah. And so if, if, if Sojourn has knowledge, you know, by way of a cookie, for example, on, a, on an airline site, that somebody's in there has, has, has searched a specific route um, and now has confirmed a booking on a specific airline for a specific route, now all of a sudden we can also see you know, are they looking at hotels? Are they looking at, at cars? Where are they in their in their total travel purchase? Uh, you know, path right. And so, being able to that that doesn't come from just data from one website. That comes from sharing the data. So, a lot of different websites, a lot of different first party data coming together. Um, you know, you know, give us a large uh, portfolio, if you will, or a uh, you know. A, a, very large you know, collection of, of uh, first party data becomes our second party data. Curious. Okay. And, and from what I've heard, Matt, and it sounds like, you know, you guys are a great example of this. And then if you, you look at sort of the predictions of, you know, the big guys like the, the IDCs and the other sort of market research folks, the, uh, the proliferating trend of buying other people's info is, is very much taking off uh, across the board in many regards because of what can be gleaned from separating signal from noise in situations where, like you said, if you have their first party data, you can really drive down and make some important decisions. And I think that, uh, you know, even for our very, we, we have a, a small e-commerce company, um, you know, seven figure company, but smaller company, even we are buying information from kind of the bigger aggregators, um, you know, in terms of kind of the demographic stuff or, you know, uh, life insurance or other important factors for kind of what, what we're selling. You guys are doing that at a grander scale. Um, what are some tangible examples, whether you want to use your business of, or not, of, you know, an, an example of, of a really important connection from the licensing of second party data, what we could refer to there? What, what are some use cases that for you are pretty transformative and interesting and maybe indicative of the value? 
Yeah, so that's that's great. So I could use travel. I could also use automotive as an example. Either way, yeah, go for it, man. So in 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 automotive, you would you 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 know you would look at uh, you know leading indicators of people beginning to search on say cars.com or being in search on other other websites where they're starting to uh, research a um, an autom automobile purchase. So somebody's gone and they've they've looked at a minivan and they've now not only looked at a minivan but they've actually they've actually gone through the steps of creating their own minivan online. So they've actually customized it. They put out the color. They picked out the engine type. They picked out the seat configuration. They looked at a lot of different things. And then they, they left that and then they went and looked at the Buick Rendezvous for whatever reason. Ad caught their eye and now they're on the Buick Rendezvous page looking at that and, and drilling into it. Um, the, the, that's that's indication not of somebody who is exceptionally interested in cars in general, but somebody who's actually shopping for Oh yeah, and yeah, and so once you get into that mode, then it's very clear that there is a limited time frame in which you're probably going to make a, a purchase, and so that is the collection of that first party data from say at cars.com or somewhere else because cars.com doesn't sell a car. What they do is they sell advertising and they also help uh, help the, the auto manufacturers reach their audience yep. and actually yep. get them to convert. So then there comes opportunity conquests, rendezvous page, then. Think clearly, um, you know the, the Hyundai Sonata wants to be there, and they want to present you something as, a, as an alternative or whatever reason. Well, in travel, it's it's very similar, where you have um, where you're out there and you're looking for a, a flight, uh, and, and and you make that make that uh, flight booking. Now the, the opportunity comes to now take that a, a higher step. So um, we don't need a lot of different data points to be able to predict what you what you need to what you need to get next in your travel purchase. We just need a few different pieces of information. So the fact that you, um, you're, you know, over time, it looks like you're loyal to one airline or another, or that you have loyalty to one, um, you know, to one hotel chain or another, or that for whatever reason you take a book on a Tuesday instead of a Wednesday. These things, you know, matter, and they all go into our algorithms to help us make the right bid optimizations, to be able to make the right audience selections, and to be able to um, craft the message. Uh, to be the right message, the right person, the right time, in the right medium. Ah, uh, got it. So, if you were to use the automotive, the automotive example, just as a a quick tangible one for the folks tuned in, uh, which I thought was great. If you are Buick, um, you you may very well want to know. Uh, you may want to have information from. Cars.com. I don't know if that's even possible if they license it or whatever. Um, but you may want to have information from a cars.com and you may want to retarget in a more aggressive fashion someone with a certain uh, set of, of patterns of behavior on cars.com who then visits and bounces on your site than you know someone who shows up in some other arbitrary way. If you have that sort of track record that's very much indicative of you know that limited time frame you spoke about, Matt, maybe this is going to alter um, what you advertise to them, maybe it's going to alter the intensity or the channels through which you advertise. Is this a correct assumption? Well, so it, yes, but it, I can go, I can drill in a little bit. Go more. for it. So go for it. There, there's a difference between say retargeting and prospecting in this case where somebody may have visited the Buick website and there's already a cookie dropped in that person's browser. So Buick knows who they, knows them. And when I say knows them, I mean, not in a personal way. It's, it's still all anonymized web data. So they don't know exactly who this person is. But they, but the, the, the presence of a cookie uh, gives them the ability to recognize that that person, or it is, has already been to their website and done certain things. Now, if they have the ability to now sync uh, with 
cars.com, for example. And then on the Buick page, they can use, they can use what they already know about a consumer to be able to recognize this person already was on their site and now they're on cars.com, but wait, actually on, they're no longer on the Buick page, they're now somewhere else. So now it's my chance to re-engage and try to bring them back or it's, it's my chance to reinforce a message. So you can, if, if they're on the Buick page, then you reinforce the message with something else uh, about the Buick to get them down the path of purchase. But if they're on some, some other uh, you know, competing uh, you know, automobile page, you then use that opportunity to then uh, try to conquest them and bring them back, you know, home where they belong. If you're, if you're viewing, yeah. Um, then there's prospecting where you you only know that people have some, you know, they, they, that they're interested in buying a vehicle, but they've never been to your website before. So this is a net new person. They've never been there before. So you're going to show them some sort of a message that might bring them to you because they're interested in buying an SUV, for example, but you don't know that they have any any interest at all in the Buick Rendezvous. So you're basically out there fishing for, for net new people to come and, and visit the site and to learn about the Buick Rendezvous. Yes. Okay, yeah. so, so that's yeah. an entirely different context. It sounds to me as though, in many regards, it resonates with uh, you know, a simpler concept of marketing automation where um, you, you have to think through what messages you want to go to who at what at what time so there's there's some intellectual work in setting this up properly in kind of like the feature engineering you know what what sorts of signals do we want to tune into on our site on cars.com etc and then also what do we want that to mean uh, at point X or Y or Z in terms of you know who we go out and find or how we actually uh, engage with this particular person there's there's sort of the the tech side of thinking through you know what we're going to collect and how and then and then the marketing side as well so that's a, a pretty pretty robust uh, sort of whiteboard process that probably goes into doing this well if I'm not mistaken. Data processing and all this doesn't happen just automatically. No way. At the, at the end of the day, there's always human intuition that's still involved, and and despite how much how how much data is available. You still need a person to think about how to make that data useful, um, and and so you can also automate the wrong process and have a problem. So the most important thing is to nail it, to know what you're doing, to be able to use your intuition, to mix that with with all the skills and the um, uh, the, the technical capabilities and the data you've acquired. Because data is everywhere, but knowing how to use it is sort of still a specialized skill. It very much is, and hopefully, hopefully, will be uh, less and less so uh, as as time marches on. We're we're certainly at a shortage for data scientists at present in the world, and that's probably not going to change anytime soon. Again, if you look at the projections of kind of how many of them are made out of universities versus how many of them are being asked for, but uh, it would behoove the folks tuned in now, if you're in you know executive positions or otherwise, to familiarize yourself with kind of that technical process, which, as you mentioned. Not going away. Data is going to become more more uh, prevalent and and more uh, sort of uh, uh, grander and bigger, I guess, if we're using the big data term uh, as as the years march on. And hopefully, people can glean some insights uh, from the actions that or, or the actions and perspectives you've been able to share here, Matt. That's just about all we have for time. But I, I more than appreciate you being able to shine a light not only on what you're doing in your business, but on the new opportunities of big data out there for executives. So thanks for being here on Tech Emergence. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, that wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence podcast. And thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers and thinkers in the domains of 
AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.